You are listening to the Senior Pastor Podcast, where four giants of the Restoration Movement walk us through the issues facing the church today. Your four hosts are Bob Russell, Don Wilson, Ken Eidelman, and Scott Rawlings. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Brooke Bratzman, CEO and founder of Go Ministries. Go Ministries empowers local leaders to make disciples. After 30 years of leading this ministry, the next generation is taking it to a whole nother level. And I have had the privilege of starting a new area called Go Legacy, where we focus on pastoral care, resourcing new initiatives, and teaching and modeling kingdom generosity. If you'd like to learn more, please go to gomen.org. We all leave a legacy. What will your legacy look like? Welcome to the Senior Pastor Podcast. I am your host, Matt Rawlings, teaching pastor of Christ Community Church in Portsmouth, Ohio. And I am joined by four distinguished gentlemen and who have a plethora of experience. The impetus for this podcast came several months back when my wife and I were at a pastor's conference and we had spoken to some of these people who were at the table with me, which I'll, who I'll introduce in a minute. And we said that we cannot let these guys go to heaven one day without sharing their experience. They've had too much experience and wisdom uh, to take that to heaven with them. And so they, these are the four guys that we kind of chose with some consulting with some other people. So right to my left is Ken Eidelman. Um, Ken is the former president of Ozark Christian College and senior pastor at Crossroads Christian Church. Ken, talk a little bit about yourself for the few people who don't know who you are. I mean, it won't surprise you that the younger listeners will know a little bit more about a, maybe one of your sons, but anyway. Yeah, I used to be the youngest person in any meeting that I was in. <laughs> now, I'm the oldest person of any meeting I'm in, I've, and it ha- all happened so fast. Uh, when I was ten o'clock, uh, what ten o'clock? When I was ten years old, I sat in the living room floor, lotus-legged, when an elder and a pastor from the St. Joseph Church of Christ, St. Joseph, Illinois, knocked on the door, came into my house, and sat at the dining room table, and presented the gospel to my mother and dad. My dad was thirty-eight, my mother was thirty-six, and I overheard the gospel being presented to my parents. They received it that night were baptized the next Sunday. After those men left that night, I said to my folks, I heard that, I believe that, I want to be baptized too. So I was actually baptized the same time both my parents were. My dad was a first-generation Christian uh, from an alcoholic railroading family and made big changes. I saw those changes, and it was transformative for me. At 15, I'm at Hanging Rock Christian Service Camp, with uh, Scott Rawlings here to my left and uh, some other mentors uh, who were very influential in my life. I stepped out and committed my life to full-time Christian leadership on Friday night. Became a what they called then a life recruit. At 18, I'm off to Bible College at Lincoln Christian uh, University as a freshman. And I stayed uh, four years, met my wife Kayleen, married along the way, preached in a couple of uh, uh, Illinois churches, student ministries. Um, At 25, graduated from grad school. 
uh, was looking for a church and uh, no open doors. I'd spoken at Ozark Christian College for an event, and uh, they called and said, would you come and teach? And I thought, well, I'm 25. I'll go uh, teach for five years, and then at 30, I'll be a respectable age, and I can I can be trusted with <laughs> ministry. And uh, so I went down, and four years into it, the president uh, was retiring, and uh, and they the trustees said, "Can we interview you to succeed him?" I said, "Do you know how old I am?" And, uh, and they said, "No. How old are you?" I said, "I'm 29." And uh, they said, "Well, we th- we think it's just a number." So uh, at 29, I started in administration at Ozark, stayed for 30 years, and um, and then you know. Uh, old presidents don't retire; they go out to pastor. So uh, <laughs> I was called to uh, Crossroads in uh, Evansville and promised the elders there ten years. And after the tenth Easter, um, decided to come over to Louisville. All our children, grandchildren were here. We wanted to have some years to serve with them and enjoy them. And so at sixty-nine, seventy. We moved here, been here seven years, and uh, work with the Solomon Foundation as uh, as uh, vice president of leadership development, which means I'm essentially a pastor to pastors, work with pastors and elders of local churches. And um, so that's kind of where I've been and where I am today. Thank you, sir. And so as you said to, to your left, someone you've known for quite a long time, uh, Scott Rawlings, founding pastor of Christ Community Church in Portsmouth, Ohio, a.k.a. my father. Yeah, thanks, Matt. About all I can say is that when I was a minister at Prairie Green Church of Christ, I was at a Galilean service at uh, Hanging Rock Christian Assembly, and this young man committed to becoming a preacher. That's about all I've got to say about that. (laughs) I've had anything to do. And the rest of the time, I I was a youth minister for a long time under Tom Thurman and then under T.K. Smith, and then went to Prairie Green, and I came back to Central Church of Christ, and they they agreed to help us plant Christ Community Church 52 years ago on the 20th of this month. And... uh, I've been there in in Portsmouth, Ohio, ever since. I went. I graduated from Kentucky Christian College. I was a trustee there for many years. Then I went to seminary at uh, Vanderbilt University, and I learned what not to believe while I was there. <laughs> and because uh, nearly all of my teachers there were neo Orthodox, and I really learned a, a lot. Uh, because and if I, the listeners don't know what neo orthodox <clears throat> is, it's kind of in that time liberal light. Well, they they did a lot of good things though. They 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 put a lot of emphasis on um, the the sits and Laban they would call it the situation in life of of what you what was in the Bible and that uh, what they did that was wrong is they brought the uh, critical system. Along with them, there with Bart Bruner and Tillich and mm-hmm. those other fellows, they did get back to, to to putting the emphasis on the Bible. The problem was they didn't believe it, so that you know that kind of went downhill from there. 
and so that's the reason I said I learned what not to believe. But I, I formed some really good relationships with her because a lot of the guys from uh, uh, Abilene Christian were there as well. Joe Schubert, whose son now is the president of Abilene and probably the smartest guy I ever met in my life, a guy there that uh, had a, a uh, photographic memory. I've talked to you about yep. it. That, what was his name? Global Music. Global Music, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was disgusting to see anybody that smart. And I was, I, I attended, uh, Alice Kay and I attended the church there in Nashville where the preacher was the spokesman for the non-instrumental brethren, and I got to know him pretty well. And so those those relationships paid off in, in the long run. But uh, I had three professors at Abilene who were doing their PhDs at Vanderbilt the same time you were there. Yeah. Oh, one Old Testament, two New Testament professors. Did yeah. they believe anything? Uh, two of the three did. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm done. Go ahead. <laughs> Dr. Don Wilson, founding pastor of CCV in the Phoenix area. Don, tell us a little bit, bit about yourself. Yeah, I grew up a uh, farm boy in Kansas. We milked cows every night and morning. Had one vacation in 18 years. So uh, learned how to work, I guess. Grew up in a little country church. Played a lot of sports. My brothers were athletes. I was the youngest of five. Uh, my senior year, uh, I was going to go away to play college football, and I turned down a scholarship when uh, the president of the Christian College came out to my little country church and preached a sermon on our best young people to give their lives in full-time mm. ministry. And so I decided to do that. Went to Manhattan Christian College uh, for four years while I was there, played basketball. After that, I recruited for four years, traveled all over the country. That was eye-opening for me to just experience what our brotherhood was like all over the country. Uh, went to Phoenix, Arizona uh, in 1975, totally out of my comfort zone in a church of 800 as a youth pastor. Um, then I was pastor of a small church. And then in uh, 1982, my wife and I decided to start Christ Church of Valley. There's four couples in my living room, and we served there for uh, 35 years and then for the last five years, I've been working with pastors all over the country, uh, trying to encourage them in their marriage and their ministry. Probably the greatest joy in my life is not pastoring a large church. All three of my kids are in ministry. My 11 grandkids are all believers of Christ. So that's the greatest joy that I have is that uh, all my grandkids love and know Jesus and serve in him. So God's, God's been really good. Wonderful. And to... Uh Don's left, and uh, Don referred to him earlier as the Godfather. So, <laughs> Bob Russell, founding pastor of Southeast Christian Church. Bob, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm not the Godfather, but I I, uh, I grew up in northwestern Pennsylvania in dairy farm country, but I had wonderful Christian parents. My dad was a blue-collar worker, not a preacher, but we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every time the doors are open. I remember asking one time, do we have to go? That's the dumbest question I ever had. <laughs> uh, so when I became a senior, I was debating about what to do, and it finally became clear to me I was supposed to go to Bible college and study for ministry. And I had not considered that seriously until that time. I went to Cincinnati Bible Seminary at the time, became Cincinnati Christian University. Met my wife there, and uh, we married. I had a little country church outside of Cincinnati, and I was there for one year full-time. When Southeast Christian Church, a new start, new church plant in Louisville, was looking for a preacher, Ken was 29 when he started as president. I was 22 when I came to this church. It was a new church meeting in the basement of a house, and I really thought I would come for four or five years and go back to the East Coast. 
because there's such a dearth of churches there, particularly restoration movement churches. But the Lord was so good, and the people were so good, and I loved what I was doing here, and I stayed at Southeast for 40 years. And after 40 years, I said, you know what? The children of Israel put up with Moses for 40 years. This is long enough for these people to put up with me. And I retired in 2006 when I was 62, and I started a ministry to try to encourage younger preachers. And I do mentoring retreats, uh, limited to eight guys who come. Uh, I do seven or eight a year. And I have done over 100 of these retreats. And if you would have told me when I retired I would do 100 retreats and they would never get old, I would have never believed that. But it's been a sweet spot for me, and I have the last 16 years have been wonderful years. I I enjoyed the ministry at Southeast, but I've enjoyed uh, this new chapter in my life maybe even more. And uh, it's been really fulfilling, and God's been good. I'm 78, going to be 79 in a week or two. And God's given me good health, and I just think as long as I'm given good health, I'm supposed to preach and teach and do what I can, and and I I hope it'll continue. Thank you. No such thing as retirement in the kingdom of God. Bob, am I right? Wasn't Olin Hay, he was at uh, at the church here in Louisville when you came, wasn't he? Olin Hay was the preacher of South Louisville Christian Church that started Southeast. Okay. And he... He was so much fun. He, He's a wonderful he, man. He was a wasn't? wonderful man. He would have loved to have come out here and been the preacher of this church. But when it start, Southeast started growing, my biggest encourager uh, was Olin Hay. And he would brag on the church and brag on me. And I just have fond, fond memories of Olin Hay. And now, a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Brooke Brutzman, CEO and founder of Go Ministries. Go Ministries empowers local leaders to make disciples. After 30 years of leading this ministry, I have turned it over to the next generation and couldn't be more pleased with how they're leading and all they're doing. That allows me to focus on a new area called Go Legacy, where we focus on pastoral care, resourcing new initiatives, and kingdom generosity. Folks, let's face it, if you're connected at all with the church, whether a regular attender, an elder, and certainly if you're on staff, you see the pressures that our leaders are under. It is an incredible burden that they bear and often bear alone. Go Ministries have been privileged to walk alongside hundreds of local leaders right here serving in our own churches. And we want to do more through counseling, encouragement, and equipping those pastors. But that doesn't happen without new initiatives and new resources. And that brings us to kingdom generosity. Folks, God owns it all. And we need to live into that each and every day. Please go to GoMen.org and ask yourself, what will your legacy look like? We were talking, you know, earlier, you know, but I want to bring this back up now that everybody's been introduced. We are seeing growth in restoration churches. We are seeing a great decline in anyone within the movement who wants to be in full-time ministry. And do you have anybody have an opinion on why that is? Is that cultural? Is that, you know, what, what is going on that we're having a tough time, whether it's Bible colleges or whether churches internally, they're just not seeing young men step up and say, you know, I want to serve the kingdom full time. I want to lead. I want to plant or lead or whatever existing church. What's going on out there, do you think? And maybe Ken, start with you because you you were the president of a Christian college. So, 
Well, let me go deep with the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, evil has strategy behind it, and it has personality behind it. And Satan knows. You strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. And um, in the last 40 years, 50 years, we've seen well-known, well-exposed Christian leaders um, who have been uh, become targets and mm-hmm. have failed and fallen morally, and uh, there is a, a scorn for Christian leaders, spiritual leaders, church leaders that has developed over time, right up to the present. Some of some of uh, leaders that that I would have never imagined would would uh, have failed and fallen have, and uh, as a result, it's brought a lot of disrepute uh, on Christian leadership. And I think uh, whereas the parson used to be the person in the community. Usually the most well-educated person in the community. Most well-educated person, most morally upright and deeply respected person in the community, that's been turned on its head. And Mm -hmm. I think that's got strategy and personality behind it. I think it's an evil, it's, it's pervasive, that has affected um, attitudes of people toward professed godly leaders. And we've got to get that turned around somehow, pray a lot for the Holy Spirit to, to intervene, because that, that's, uh, that's foundational, and I think that's kind of the, what's under it all. Mm-hmm. Start with that. Well, yeah, and I, I agree. Obviously, Satan always has a strategy, and it's and you know he's smarter than any of us at this table, unfortunately. Um, but and so I agree with that. And yeah, there's been a number of of rather public. You know, we were talking about a podcast earlier that almost celebrates the failure of a of of a pastor and a ministry leader. That stuff is certainly out there. But at the same time, I ended up in the ministry. And I'm just old enough to remember Jim and Tammy Faye and Jimmy Swaggart and you know, all that stuff that hit at the end of the 80s. And I remember all that kind of, kind of stuff. But one of the things that struck me, when, especially when you two were introducing, once upon a time, it sounds like there was a concerted effort to get people to commit to ministry. And that seems to have gone bye-bye. Is that you're nodding your head now? Is that right? Well, of course that's right. Our little church in Germantown, we ran a couple hundred people there in that little town, and we had the church was an exciting place, even mm-hmm. for kids, because we used to have kind of youth rallies, and when you know that's where all the pretty girls were, so we all went, and uh, and and we learned all these courses and stuff. But the girls, I mean, that was kind of a neat thing, because and that's not all bad, because you're hanging out with. Christians and da 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 da, but um, we had guys revival meetings every year for two weeks, and we had guys like Reggie Thomas and 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 some guys that were really good, you know, and uh, and then uh, one of the preachers that we had was duller than anybody I ever met in my life. I mean, sleeping in church was a really in, enjoyable thing, and. <laughs> And but that old guy would go out in the field and work with us in the tobacco mm-hmm. patch and whatever, and he just cornered me one day and he said, "Look, 
because I had a I had a scholarship, University of Kentucky in engineering and a whole bunch of other stuff, and um, and he said, "You need to be a preacher." Said, well, I don't want to be a preacher. I want to get rich. And uh, he said, "Well, you won't get rich, but you need to be a preacher." And so he drug me off to Grayson, Kentucky, where he'd graduated from Kentucky Christian College. And, uh, and circumstances worked out where uh, I said, well, I'll give it a shot. And I've been shooting now, you know, <laughs> for a long time. And, and so that, that's how that, but there was a conscious effort by our minister to recruit. Mm-hmm. And I've done that for years. And, and, uh, but my problem now is what am I going to do with them? Yeah. Yeah, which we got to talk about here in a minute. But I, I agree with what both of you are saying. It sounds like, one, we're underestimating our enemy, which means we're not you know, going to the Holy Spirit praying about this for God to raise up these leaders. Two, it doesn't sound like we're being very strategic about it, but these days, you know, the days of kind of youth rallies, youth camps, that kind of stuff, that's largely gone away. But, but Don, there's got to be a way to specifically recruit leaders. There's got to be a way for us to train, the, like the ministers you're mentoring or Bob's mentoring or Ken's mentoring, and, and really set them on a path to try to identify and recruit leaders. Yes? Yeah, I, uh, maybe I was a little different uh, from day one in my ministry when I would see young boys five or six years of age, seven years of age. I'd pat them on the head and say, you're going to be a preacher someday. Because I knew if they were young people that had leadership gifts, mm-hmm. they were going to be encouraged to do everything but be a preacher. Uh, because most Christian parents today want their kids to be successful. They don't necessarily want them to go through the struggles of ministry. Right. And so I would start with the kids when they were little and just saying, you're going to be a preacher, you're going to be a preacher, that sort of thing. Um, and um, I, I uh, encouraged high school kids all the way. One thing I wish I would have gone back and done different though, I wish I would have taken the high school kids, boys specifically, mm-hmm. and and on a consistent basis met with them and encouraged them to go into ministry. My son was our youth pastor. He probably put more people in ministry than anybody I know. But the reason was one of his goals of youth ministry <clears throat> was not how many kids you get in the youth group, it's how many kids you put in ministry. And mm-hmm. I don't see that today. In fact, it's interesting that probably if you'd go back and document it, maybe a decline of people going into ministry started happening when senior pastors no longer went to church camp anymore and just the Mm. youth pastor went. In fact, if I was still a pastor, I would not have youth worship. I, I would have all of them be in the adult service in high school because people say today when these kids go away to secular college, Mm -hmm. they leave the church. Well, the reason why they leave the church is the church that they were in for eight years doesn't exist. Even if you go to the same church in the youth ministry for junior high and high school and you leave and you come back, you've never been in adult service your whole life. So it's almost like going to a new church. So I, I think, uh, I'm not sure youth pastors have the passion to recruit kids for ministry, maybe like some senior pastors were, okay? Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think that's, that's one of the major problems. But, but I'd say it comes back to uh, um, when I was in Bible college, the Vietnam War broke out. So a lot of kids would go to Bible college to avoid going to war. 
<laughs> I mean, really, mm-hmm. uh, well, we don't have that anymore. And so uh, there's a lot of things. And again, there's a, most Christian parents want their kids, again, I'll repeat, to be successful, but right. they don't want to have to struggle going through ministry. And we have to, so I think <clears throat> in some place as a senior pastor and the youth staff, you have to constantly be encouraging these kids to go into ministry, to go into ministry, to go into ministry. If you not, if you don't, every other person is going to take their leadership and encourage them to do something else. Right. Bob, you you just talked about the retreats you do with ministers and and so forth. But, you know, part of the thing I I, I see is, okay, what I'm hearing is we've got to be more intentional. And I agree with you, Don. I think we have to, I think the senior pastors need to step in with the youth and identify those, those leaders. And we have to be praying. We have to be intentional. But, if we get them there, I mean, kids are not stupid anymore. These days. They've got these little cell phones that they carry around, and they look up things. If, you, if somebody like Bob Russell or Don Wilson or somebody comes up to them and says, young man, I think you're going to be a leader, and I think you should consider ministry. And then they go Google ministry, and they read that you know, 60% of pastors or whatever the number is says they're ready to quit. So how do we handle handle that you've been doing that what what are you seeing well, i think you're, you're, from that? you're right in identifying this problem you know wayne gretzky the hockey player said what made him such a great hockey player was he skated to where the puck was going to be right and, and we we've got to have the vision to say our movement at least is going into trouble i mean at the same time we're growing faster than almost any movement mm-hmm. Down the road, we're not recruiting leaders and preachers, and we got to say we're going to be in trouble right. in a decade or so. And I think you nailed it about why that is. Uh, the who who influences the kids the most about going mm-hmm. to, to Bible college? Well, in the church, it used to be the preacher. You mentioned Olin Hay. Olin Hay recruited these guys and spent time with these, took them up to Cincinnati, and recruited a lot of great preachers. But today, it's the youth minister. And the youth minister, most of them aren't as interested in getting kids to go to Bible college. And if they go to Bible college, it's to be a youth minister or a worship leader or right. or a counselor, not, not a preacher. And then the parents influence them. And as our culture has become more affluent and more secular, the parents are discouraging the kids from going because mm-hmm. they don't get to brag about their kids going to right. the university, going to study for med school or be a lawyer. Uh the, the greatest recruiting place for preachers ought to be the Bible college campus itself mm-hmm. because you've got a number of kids there who are going for every other reason. But you, you, when I went to Bible college, a lot of the guys who were professors were preachers, and they were recruiting guys to, to preach. And there was an influence on the Bible college campus about becoming a preacher. But you go now, and those studying for ministry are in the minority. And I would say one of the things that you, you touched mm-hmm. on in your comment to me we not only to recruit preachers, we need to retain preachers. Yes. If 70% of the guys who enter ministry quit within the first 10 years, and 43%, according to a recent study, are seriously considering quitting, right. we've got to have more programs that will reinforce and encourage and build up the preachers that are that are younger. That's one of the reasons I'm doing these retreats. Hopefully we can accomplish some of that. But we got to all band together to to encourage the guys who are already in ministry to stay. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the thing that he's talking about, we look back over our lives with some adjustments here and there. Uh, 
I'd have done exactly the same thing. Even though my mother tried to talk me out of it, she said, hey, look, you got a scholarship, you got everything paid, and you know that every four years we chase our preacher off and get a mm. new one, and we think our, all our troubles went with him, and then, you know, and she went through all that scenario, which was all true. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, then later on, she told me, she said, I knew if I could talk you out of it, you shouldn't be doing it. And the other thing was, she said, you've never done anything I ever told you to do anyway. So I knew if I said it, you'd do something else. So and she wasn't all wrong about that either. So <laughs> so I've been at it all this time, yeah. And, and, and I'm telling you, what we haven't done is uh, t- with our kids, we haven't told them how exciting it is when you know that God has used you to do a good thing. Yeah. You go into a hospital sometime, here's somebody really in bad shape, and you know that God has used you to build them up, to strengthen them, and, and even to prepare them to meet death. You walk out of the hospital, back to the car, your feet hardly touch the ground. It, it, and there's, I'll bet you there's not very many other things on the face of the earth that has that to go with it. We talk about an emotional high. That's a real dandy. And one to, to steal a, a phrase from a, uh, uh, one of my favorite movies, one that echoes throughout eternity. You know, I, it's, we were talking earlier, and, I, I, and we were talking about, Don, you brought it up, that parents right now are so focused on their kids have to be popular and successful, popular and successful, and, you know, I've, I've said it. I'm not trying to be sanctimonious or self-righteous. I just I tell my congregation, I would rather my son be impoverished and godly than wealthy and on his way to hell. Because what does that get you? I don't understand it. But we're going to have to, you know, recruit those leaders. We're going to have to prayerfully enter this battle because Satan is against us, and he's going to do anything he can to thwart that. But Dad, I think you're right. We don't talk enough about, we talk a lot about being a leader and systems and all that kind of stuff. We don't talk enough about the joy of being a pastor, that what happens when something goes right and somebody, these people you've been you know, praying for for years come to Christ and, and so forth. I mean, Don, is it, am I right here? There, are, there really are almost heaven on earth moments when you realize that what you're doing, God is using you to change something. Yeah, I I think myself, when I've had my most discouraging times in Mm -hmm. ministry, the way I get out of it is go invest my life in an unchurched person. And when I see them make that life change, that's the energy that keeps me going. Yeah. Yeah. And we've got to communicate this. And I don't think our to go to our Bible colleges, and we'll talk about those here in a minute, you know, I don't think they're doing a very good job of explaining that. I get, you know, because I've been to so many schools, you know, um, doing a PhD right now, I've been to, I'll be an alumni of five different schools before I'm done. And so I get all this stuff, Bob, I'm sure you see it, you get all this stuff from the schools. And maybe on the back page of a 20-page pamphlet, there's one story about, some kid going to on a mission trip and, you know, talking about what he or she experienced, but they don't do a good job of, because look, let's face it. We've all been, you know, I've been preaching for 20 some years. Now you guys have been preaching for decades. You know, stories are how you communicate powerful truths. Almost every time 
somebody has come up and remembered something from a sermon of mine and some story I told. But the Bible colleges and those of us in leadership are not telling these stories about what you what can happen, what God can do to you through you as a minister. Yeah. Let me say first, it's easy for us in the church to sit back and criticize the Bible college. Sure. And I'm sure there are some things that they could be doing better. Mm -hmm. But they can work only with what we send them. Yep. And I talked about in the beginning about I want church Sunday morning, Sunday school church, Mm -hmm. Sunday night youth group church, Wednesday night Bible study, vacation Bible school, revivals. I knew quite a bit about the Bible by the time I got graduating from, from high school. Not as much as I thought I knew, but I knew something. <laughs> yeah. Today, we've got kids for an hour, yep. maybe twice a month. So we're sending them kids who are, are really a, in first, second grade, mm-hmm. spiritually speaking. The Bible college assumes that they are coming with more knowledge and more understanding of what they want to do and why they're going to do it and what the Bible has to say. And there's a real gap between where they're trying to pick them up and where they really are. And they have to work back at ground zero. I think a, a, a second thing that needs to happen, both at the local level and in the Bible college, we've got to have more exposure mm-hmm. to uh, the, the heroes of the faith. Yeah, that Rather than just being in a classroom and hearing a professor, there needs to be more of the calling in of some preachers who are doing it on the field. My most inspirational class in Bible college was taught by John Wilson, who was a preacher at the First Christian Church in Springfield, Ohio, and he would drive down every Monday night. He was there just one night, but he was mm-hmm. on the field. He had these stories that you're talking about, mm-hmm. and he had this enthusiasm for evangelism that turned the rest of us on. And I, I think we need to give exposure to kids. And I'm like Don. If I could do it again, I would start a junior high boy i think almost yeah. if you wait till senior high it's too late i'd start a junior high club that they would meet once a month and i would just give them some exposure some stories about ministry take them with me somewhere take them up to bible college i relied too much on the youth department to do that and i should have been more intentional myself yeah all, all sorry, three of us bob don and and i all had the same experience sunday morning sunday school worship sunday night youth group and Sunday night service. Wednesday night, I was the only teenager in Wednesday night Bible study, and um, but that was that was very shaping. Then I had mentors that were senior pastors that built into me: John Pierce, Bill Scoville, and uh, Scott Rawlings, and a lot of others mm-hmm. that that built into me. And those those people and those experiences. And then when I got to Bible college uh, back in the day. Uh, colleges today tend to hire degrees. And our experience at Ozark was that the PhDs were not the most um, evangelistic yeah. and they were not student-oriented and they were not necessarily churchmen. And um, so that, you know, th- that we, we did not hire, typically hire PhDs. Now, if they can sanctify their mm-hmm. uh, education, by being student-oriented, by being churchmen. And that's why between 90 and 95% of the bachelor degree graduates at, at the college then and, and still true today wind up in vocational ministry and mission field because the teacher, they repro- you reproduce after your kind. Right. 
And so if you have those kind of people in the classroom telling the stories, doing the teaching, they're going to produce those kind of people. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you a story from Bible college from my era that exemplifies what he's talking about. R.C. Foster, was uh, he was a warrior, and he was a scholar, but he loved the guys who were going to be preaching. My roommate went to sleep in his class, and at the end of the class, he said, Mr. Humphreys, may I see you after class? We knew Tim was in trouble. It was an early morning class, Monday morning. And so Tim came to the room afterward. I said, what did he say? What did he say? He said, Mr. Humphreys, are you preaching on a weekend? He said, yes, sir. What time did you get back last night? About 11 o'clock. He said, from now on, on Mondays, if you're real tired, you don't have to come to class. I won't dock you. Hmm. Now, what did that say, not just to Tim Humphreys? What did that say to everybody who heard that? Everybody knew R.C. Foster was there to train preachers. And if you want to get a good grade in his class, you get a better grade if you were studying to preach. Yeah. <laughs> and at Ozark, we didn't, have, um, we didn't have classes on Monday, and specifically because we wanted guys to be out serving in the church and preaching. We knew they needed a Sabbath day, so it was Monday. This has been the Senior Pastor Podcast, a production of 1801 Media Incorporated. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.